our real goal is to have 10 million AIs living in the virtual world, getting smarter over time until, you know, one of them has a sort of Promethean breakthrough and, uh, you know, actually becomes the first AI virtual being. I'm with Ed Sachi, a pioneer in the field of virtual beings whose Fable Studio created Lucy, one of the most sophisticated artificial intelligence characters ever created. Edward, can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by virtual beings? How is that different than a chatbot? Really from the start, we've, we've wanted uh, an AI that can truly connect with you, learn from you, um, and even be on the same plane of reality as you. Um, so until we get robots, that might mean in virtual worlds with you. Um, and I don't think a virtual being, a true virtual being exists yet. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big goal to create an AI person, um, but that's the goal that, uh, that Fable and the simulation are, are working towards. Well, can, let's go back to Lucy a little bit just because some people might be learning about even the concept of virtual beings for the first time. Tell me about Lucy and what was the idea behind it? What inspired you to create that? And what were the goals? How, how has it gone? I co-founded Oculus Story Studio um, and um, won two primetime Emmys for the, for the virtual reality experiences that we created. And the fourth one that we made was called Wolves in the Walls. And it was a Neil Gaiman adaptation. Lucy was the main character. And uh, as we were making it, we were noticing that people wanted to talk to our main character and have them talk back in a, in a good way. This was in 2017. And so I started to get very interested in natural language processing, in AI, so that we could actually um, pull together the Lucy project, uh, which was how do you actually make a person feel real. And back then, there weren't so many examples in the gaming landscape. There was Elizabeth and Bioshock Infinite. Um, and a few others, but very little. And chatbots were not strong. Um, so that's really what led me on to, to virtual beings. And um, we, we started to put AI into Lucy, uh, both procedural animation, um, as well as uh, natural language processing and generation. Um, but we felt that there was something that wasn't working. Uh, and I don't think does work with chatbots, which is that she had no actual life. Um, so it became very boring talking to her. Um, and to solve that, you know, we had to figure out ways to solve that. Like, okay, we'll, we'll tell the AI that this week Lucy's on a trip or something, and it'll come up, <laughs> which is manual and, and tedious. Um, so we started thinking, how do we solve that problem? And that's when we hit on the idea of uh, a simulation, that the, the future of AIs and you know, to, the goal of building a virtual being will involve societies of AIs living in virtual worlds, um, pushing each other, learning from each other, um, not just a one-to-one -one chatbot, but actual communities of AIs. Um, and so that's the path that we've been on since that revelation, which really came in about 2020, yeah, late 2020. I'm hearing the fusion of a couple of really powerful ideas. So one is just storytelling first of all which mm. which is something that's always been core to the things i've done when i've been a game developer i, mm. I now just help other people build their games but when i was building 
games, we had this idea of, of bringing people into story using devices and things that had never really been very good at telling stories before um, with Game of Thrones and Star Trek and things like that. So story seems central to your idea. The other is just this idea that the character can have a, have a memory so to speak, and, and, and you're calling it like a, a virtual life, but almost crafting a narrative around what that memory is, the things that they're doing when, when you're not. No, I, I, yeah, I mean a little more than that. I do mean that they actually minute by minute have lives in the simulation where their family members are like bullying them, teasing them, their school is frustrating. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't mean like um, kind of uh, give them a richer prompt. I mean, mm-hmm. but, you know, minute by minute, they actually have a life. So they know what they did a, a yesterday because they actually did it yesterday. Um, and they have, um, you know, real things happening because they're not alone, right? Nobody is, nobody is alone in the world. Um, but an AI, our conception of chatbots is that they are just these completely brain in jar things. And instead, we want to be able to interact with them. They need families. They need trauma and frustration and i used to say that in the sense of the prompt like okay well we'll say in the prompt uh-huh. she was you know she had extra or more he had extra or more something but it's just then it's just a, a static prompt so that's why we need a simulation so that they genuinely have things happening to them on a daily basis over time in their world um that they can communicate about um, and eventually perhaps with things like adept ai and like action ai um you know, take actions on the internet from their computers and their homes in the simulation. So, you know, for people who are familiar with, say, chat GPT, it's not like when you go to chat GPT and it's forgotten everything about you and you're starting all over again and you're creating a prompt and you're telling it something that frames the discussion. It actually has this memory of a life that it's been experiencing because all the time that you're not actually interacting with it, it sounds like there's a simulation running. Yes, in which- that's exactly right. And so it has things that it has, has had, they have habits just like we do. Like, where are you going to be in an hour? Oh, I'll probably be like doing the grocery shopping or I'll be, um, you know, at school or I'll be at my job. I hate this boss. He's been a complete bastard. And, you know, the boss actually exists. He's got his own life and his own, you know, frustrations and all of that. Um, so it's, it's actually happening. And, you know, for us, the big, the big goal is that uh, players um, are able to kind of nurture and through reinforcement learning from human feedback, like actually help train mm-hmm. some of these characters in their lives. Very simple things like, you know, giving star ratings for what they're doing and how they're saying things. Um, but my hope is that we can harness the um, energy of gamers to make progress towards AI. Um, mm. so you know, that's kind of, that's the hope of the simulation, that the simulation is something on the back end. You're looking at it, you're watching it, you're enjoying, uh, the drama and the excitement of what's happening within this, these simulations. Well, in the way I'm thinking of it now, though, is the simulation is always happening for this virtual being. When I'm engaging with the virtual being, I'm not doing something separate from that. Then I'm actually part of the simulation for that virtual being i'm interacting with that's it a whole that. other yeah that's a whole other element so we um that part of the breakthrough for us towards the simulation came when lucy did a twitch stream with uh code miko 
who uh, is a brilliant VTuber. Mm-hmm. With her, but yeah, she's she's yep. fantastic. And so we thought it'd be cool. This is in 2020. We thought it'd be cool to have uh, Code Miko and Lucy do the chat and all that, an AI virtual being talking to a you know avatar virtual being, and then jump into Minecraft together. Yeah. And then they're taking actions together. They're doing things together. They're on the same plane of reality together. And so that's very powerful. Is that yes, when you're you're part of the simulation from their perspective, um, and you can actually in in our in the simulation that we've built, you can be in God mode, but you can also go in just like in Westworld and kind of actually, you know, we, we, we try to think of the player as like Ford, the Anthony Hopkins character in Westworld, um, in that, you know, you're designing the park, you're kind of creating all these new narratives and storylines, but you also want to go and visit the park and, and see what it's like and maybe pause and fix some AIs and all that. My mind is going to so many places. So first of all, I'm remembering one of the first games that I really fell in love with, which was the Ultima series. And I remember Mm. back in, I forget which version of Ultima, it might've been like Ultima 8 or something. Mm. A big part of what Richard Garriott was trying to accomplish in that was, was this idea that independent of your own actions in the game, the characters that would populate towns and whatnot, they would go about their daily lives. They'd go to bed. They'd go about their business. Now we're talking about 16 bit computers. So they were pretty limited in terms of memory and storage and sophistication. These were not AI characters. It was procedural, but there, there was the germ of an idea there where, where these characters were going about their life. Now, about the same time as that, I started building online games. I, I mm. built a game called Legends of Future Past, where mm. instead of having computer-controlled characters, it was all humans that were coming mm. in and playing. And of course, they would be experiencing these worlds through their own narrative, their own experience, and then sharing that with each other. It, it feels like this is the natural progression of that, where the virtual beings that you're interacting with are these characters that live in almost like a massively multiplayer world. I don't know if that's how you think of a yeah, simulation. Yeah, from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I was fortunate at uh, Oculus Story Studio because I felt that it was about bringing together immersive theater and games folks and, and uh, movie folks to get to know Doug Church, um, who was one of the leading um, figures in immersive sims. I think Create coined the term immersive sim. Um, Jordan Thomas, who uh, was the lead for Bioshock 2 and kind of deputy lead on, on Bioshock Infinite, um, and which kind of spun out of System Shock. And uh, um, Harvey Smith, who, uh, you know, I think he was like QA on System Shock and, uh, and then, uh, then went on to uh, create Arcane, which built Dishonored. So the immersive sim genre is one that I completely love. One of the culture DAO projects separate to Fable is, is actually called Looking Glass in homage to the studio called Looking Glass, where mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of enjoy tracing back ideas. And that's, you know, Ultima and Looking Glass is kind of where almost everything in that genre of immersive sim can be traced back to. And it's just this weird gang. It's kind of, it's kind of like the PayPal mafia, but we don't talk about it in those terms, but they, they're responsible for what to me is the most exciting genre in gaming, the immersive simulation. Um, so yeah, it's very influential on all of our thinking. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about immersive simulation, immersive theater. I, I see a huge opportunity for 
you know, the idea of performance merging with the idea of online games, like most game mm. experiences are basically on rails. Mm. They're very good at doing it. A lot of the time these days they tell stories, but it's very much according to a very specific linear narrative, maybe a little bit of branching along the edges, but you're, you're guided through this story and the characters are essentially robots who perform mm. the same exact thing for you every single time. The main mm. departure from that would, of course, be massively multiplayer online games. Mm. GTA roleplay. Yeah, well, you're dealing with real humans. So the humans mm. are able to, to kind of perform and do roleplaying and things like yeah. that. that you're referring to, But... It, it's kind of uh, a really interesting frontier that we're that we're setting out on. I, I'm thinking of like completely non-digital versions of immersive theater, like I like mm. Sleep No More is something cool. I've been yeah. to a couple of times in mm. in New York City. Which I I always tell people if you're an MMO designer and an online game designer, totally. this is not an online game. You should do Sleep No More. But th- mm. tell me your ideas around this genre. Like first of all just generally speaking, what excites you about it? And then how will virtual beings play a role into this? The simulation especially, the goal is for us all through this training to co-create an AI virtual being, by which I mean actually grow the intelligence of AIs through play, through your feedback and the rest, potentially paid bounties or compensated bounties as well for people for like data labeling and things. So our goal is of course to create an exciting video game and platform for others to create simulations but our real goal is to have 10 million ais living in the virtual world getting smarter over time until you know one of them has a sort of promethean breakthrough and uh you know actually becomes the first ai virtual being so for us that's the goal is that like maybe gamers maybe gamers who are like relentless and competitive can beat OpenAI and universities and all these other people at building uh, a true AI person. So, it's, you know, so I do like immersive sims, but that wouldn't be, that's not the goal for the simulation in terms of, I mean, it's already a huge goal to build. There have only been like 10 immersive sims because they're so hard to make. So, you know, but in the, in the dream version of the simulation, that's what's happening. The is I get a smarter through player feedback and, you know, you can actually start to sense truly intelligent AIs. You used the phrase a moment ago, um, true virtual being. Does that imply AGI? Yeah, it's sort of a sub-AGI, sort of embodied AGI. Like, you know, the, let's let's say something that's like truly coherent that, um, yeah, is like coherent to the expectations of an AI that has a full life. So I don't I don't mean like, a super search engine and it's just uh you know gpt that solves hallucination um more like an embodied character that feels as real as it should you know feels as real as it should like it has this life does it does it represent that it has that life accurately um because yeah its life is going to be a little different to john's life but can it accurately represent its life i mean thinking of games i i i I have a lot of friends who play League of Legends or World of Warcraft, and, and they'd probably rather play with a virtual being, frankly, than... Well, what I love is I love the metaphor that, the, <laughs> that instead of us thinking... Because for a while we were like, oh, they'll leave the simulation, they'll be in the metaverse. But I kind of like the effort 
that they'll have to put in to go to their apartment and turn on their computer and jump onto the internet. Like it's just much more logical, like that they only have, you know, an hour to gain before they have to go out to a nightclub with their friends or something. It all just feels more real and it'll be more resonant than just this always on AI. If it's like, oh no, I've got to, I've got to head off. And they're not hiding that they're AIs. They're like, I got to head off to my nightclub in the simulation. Um, I think that all just feels a lot more right to me than, than anything else I can come up with or we can come up with at the simulation. I, I'm now almost thinking of like metaverseception because it, it's sort of like the virtual being is in a simulation space and I don't know, League of Legends is on a computer in that yeah. simulation space. Exactly. And the virtual being is literally getting on the game. That's exactly what it should be. You should be like, you should be wa watching your AI in their home and they're on their computer. And then you like sort of zoom in and you're like, wait, wait a second, this guy is actually pretty good at League of Legends. This is crazy. Um, and it does work. You know, well, that's what I'm excited <laughs> about with adept AI and with some of the, uh, some called YAR and as, uh, with some of the others. Um, it's a pretty novel space. Langchain does some things around it, but like basically AIs that can take actions on the internet. And that does start to feel a lot more, a lot more logical for why we should be frightened of AI. Like, you know, the interpretive stuff, I don't really know why that should have been frightening, that it could figure out who was in a photograph. The generative stuff, let's see. We still haven't really had a big, massive, scandal with deep fakes but i have heard of people being scammed with other people's voices there was an article about that just a few days ago but mm -hmm. action ai is that is that is terrifying like it is it just seems so likely that an ai could misinterpret something i asked it to do go on the internet to do it and create some real havoc um so that does start to worry me but of the simulation we'll happily be using it so that our ais can be playing uh, browser-based video games with you. Early on, you were mentioning the idea that they could take actions on the internet. It yeah, is, that's is sort of what I mean. A way, is a way to make that safe to essentially simulate the things of the internet that they can do in their simulation? Or or do you mean literally get on the internet no, and suddenly get on the internet. That's what I love about action AI. Totally. I mean, that that's what that's, that's sort of been a bit of an exciting thing in the last few years, this theory that the three phases of AI will be interpretive, generative action, an agent base, let's say, where it can like do stuff mm -hmm. on the internet just through recognizing the pixels on the screen. Um, that's super cool. And like, I'm so excited for them to be able to do, um, to take actions from the simulation and do things. Cause we, we do do quite a lot on the internet now. Um, so yeah, that's going to be cool. Maybe they should have, you know, it would be kind of cool for them to buy something on Amazon. I'm not sure what they would buy, but for themselves, I don't know what that would be either. Maybe music or something. Maybe some digital items, yeah. um, maybe an NFT or something. The um, interesting thing to maybe think about though, is creativity, which, which mm. is my personal thing. Like mm. my, my transformative purchase purpose is just to multiply creativity through the world. And mm. Right now, I think these generative tools that people are using are really interesting because they're speeding up ideation time. They're maybe giving people some ideas they didn't think of, but potentially a virtual being takes that to a whole new level because a virtual being could almost become a being that gets to know you really well, mm. understands your tastes, becomes a creative collaborator. What totally. do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean, at the Culture Dow, we're thinking about some of those things with Geppetto being a sort of character who can coach you through text to 3D um, and uh, sort of guide you and encourage you. Yeah, but maybe I'm becoming less human centric. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't care that they're helping me to be creative. I want them to just be off making their own stuff and like, I'll, I'll go and visit the simulation and see the gallery and buy a piece or something. Like, I don't know that, I don't know that we should be so human centric such that it's like, you know, it's my therapist. They're going to help me like do stuff. I'd rather see, you know, sorry, buddy. Like I'm, I'm full up with clients for the next like two weeks. But I do have a slot for you next Wednesday at two. Um, you know, if you want to come to me as a, an AI therapist, I just think that's weirder and cooler. That is a very interesting view because most people that I talk to are very focused on the idea that AI is human centered and it's all about you know helping, assisting humans, and and to orient everything towards that. You seem to have a different idea, which is. Well, Maybe it's a new form of life or something. Yeah, and, I think that's the right way to think about it. We, we also noticed with Lucy, back when we were making her a chatbot, um, before we kind of hit on this concept of the simulation, was that um, people seemed to like when she couldn't get back to them. Um, and mm -hmm. she was busy because it showed she had a real life. Oh, I'm eating dinner with my parents. Sorry, I can't get to you. Um, this was a pretty short run experiment, maybe three months when we were investing in this very, very small hmm. number of users. Like, you know, we just wanted to see what it would feel like, but that was a pretty, that was another interesting breakthrough that, you know, I don't know, does familiarity breed contempt? I think so. Uh, other than with my girlfriend, um, my dog potentially, but yeah, I think they should have their own sh shit to deal with. Like, why should they always be available to us? It's very boring. It's, it's low retention, bluntly. I think hmm. all the, you know, all this money flowing in, based on six months engagement numbers is completely insane. Like, yes, of course we can retain when it's the number one news story every single day. Um, AI is, in my opinion, the chatbot stuff is very low retention. Having to solve that is, is not easy, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but we should, we'll need to well, wait till the hype has drifted off to find out. Well, it's interesting because it's it's actually kind of a lesson from game design, which is constraints are good. Yeah. Which, if I look at something like AI Dungeon, for example, first of all, I think AI Dungeon is was amazing when I tried mm. it the first mm. time a couple of years back. Um, and anybody who's watching this should try AI, AI Dungeon. Agreed. It's really cool, but it's so easy to kind of go off on the rails and in a way that like everything that comes into your imagination, you can kind of just reshape things according to whatever the heck you want. And that's an interesting creative experience in and of itself, but that isn't a game that isn't a necessarily a long-term engaging experience other than when you feel like you want that creative partnership with, with the AI the character that tells you that it isn't always available to you or doesn't do exactly what you want every time. First of all, that's really a lot more interesting, I think, mm. for us as players, for humans, because you're, you're trying to figure it out, figure out what its own intentionality is, what its own availability is, what is the game mechanic, the game system around it, so to speak. Yeah, and to, you know, to respect it as, a, as an entity that is not subordinate to you, that has its own stuff to deal with. 
Yeah, you're you're way ahead. It's almost sort of like uh, data from Star Trek. Like at the point they realized, oh, this is a sentient being, a sapient being in their own rights. So I, hope so. I hope we can do it maybe in our lifetimes. That would be cool. And maybe gamers. That's the other thing. I just think gamers do everything. So I feel like I just have this feeling that like gamers will be able to to train these models much better than anyone else. Like, you know, we're just at the stage now of people saying, oh my God, it's crazy. Someone's going to be talking to ChatGPT and they'll be able to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And that'll really train the model. It's like, yeah, obviously it's like, you know, stuff we could have done years ago, but start to t think about how to create game mechanics around that, where you're incentivized to like make the character smarter. I feel like gamers could do real damage and like really, um, yeah, really push these AIs to be more intelligent and train models in a where they know that they're training the model. It's part of the game to train the model. I think that's not that that would be cool. That's what we're trying to build. We'll see if we can. It it also feels like it would be really amazing to have the virtual being actually get to know you and understand the things that interest you and, and incorporate that into its responses. So there's this the thumbs up, thumbs down thing sort of evokes um, reinforcement learning with human feedback, which is this technique that was used on chat GPT to, to essentially refine and improve the results. Although on the other hand, some of what people critique about chat GTP is that it's sort of this averaging of responses of a mm. lot of things so that it, it, um, it, it gives you almost predictable responses for some kinds of content. And, and there's people that, that don't like that. Mm. Um, it, it seems like it would be more interesting to have virtual beings that fit different personality profiles, mm. have their own views um, that take interest. I still in think, I still think the, your, 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 um, it's still framing. The framing is still very much around conversation. And I think we, we, for, for the first year of working on the simulation, we kind of banned any work around NLP because we'd already done a fair amount of it with Lucy and much more about behavior and what they're doing and doing things together. So it's not like, um, it's not like, yeah, you, you get it like a personality getting to know you and you get to know the personality. It's more like building something or doing something or kind of, you know, physically being embodied in an avatar and both of you are, I think that's, that's very powerful. And, you know, language is not, it's not where it's at. I don't think it's that like exciting or cool, the conversational element. It's not, I, me and Pete, the, our co-founder, we were kind of like, as we were doing it with Lucy and the chatbot stuff, we started to feel like, especially around voice, but let's just take text, um, that it was almost like VR in the sense that it was irritating and like kind of a bore to have to interact using language. Um, it's not that fun. There are no video, just for a start, there are no video games that are like language-based, um, certainly none that are voice-based. So, you know, just, I think we should forget about conversation. It's just kind of a, it should be about their ability to express their behavior and not mm -hmm. you know, other stuff I think is much less relevant about, yeah. So we, we, it was a very bit antic conversation. Yeah. So that's a powerful takeaway, I think, for, for any of our viewers here, which is to think in terms of 
not only language and conversation, but all the actions. Yeah, in virtual worlds, like how much can we... Yeah, like there's this VPT um, where, you know, it can be trained on like video of games and then take actions. I think that's really cool. Pete was just doing Mm -hmm. about Sons of the Forest where they're like, um, I think they're, they're using a notepad to like instruct NPCs. Like, so I just think actions and language is not, is not a proven, it's not provably enjoyable for, for games. It is not an enjoyable path to like hmm. talk to, to NPCs or anything. None of that's been proven. It might be, it doesn't seem like it. Well, I'm connecting a couple of things you brought up. So VPT for people who, who are, you know, just learning about this. So some researchers took videos of Minecraft as one application of this technology. And you can actually train an AI to watch the videos of like doing things in Minecraft, like building a shelter and, you know, fighting a creature, all the things that you can do. And then it actually has an AI that can go in and play Minecraft, which really interesting application. Earlier, you mentioned that Code Miko and Lucy were playing Minecraft together. So you could imagine a future here where the virtual being really understands a lot about playing the game. And it's not just sort of the tactical gameplay that I was touching on earlier, like, like League of Legends. It could also be creative gameplay where you're building things together. You're creating your town in Minecraft or populating something that's more experiential in Roblox, for example. Yeah, we're, we're definitely, in terms of AIs playing games, we're much less able to, but also interested in um, making super AI players, much more like how is the play a metaphor for your, for your relationship with each other. And, you know, so otherwise they would be too good at these video games, right? That would be kind of, <laughs> I don't think that would be, it's not a direction that feels interesting for us. But maybe, maybe yeah. it should be. If we're, if we're really committing to their people who live in a simulation, they should be able to use all skills that they have. And if they're better than us at everything, then we just got to get over it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe they're AI-only servants. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> Where the AI people fight each other and want to win. That would be fun. And they talk to each other too. That would be kind of cool to listen into. Uh, that's almost getting into uh, Her, mm. the, the movie Her where the, the AIs start communicating with each other totally. and, and they go to the singularity. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really cool. I think, you know, that sense of uh, something we've been playing with in the simulation is, you know, just the AIs having conversations with each other and interacting with each other and trying to make that reflect their state and what they're doing. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I will say uh, for, for people who are experimenting with this, you know, I would really be cautious of the idea that making NPCs speak is going to do anything good for games. I don't think, mm. I don't think there's any, there's no evidence yet. And it's been available to us for four years, coming up on five years, the tech to do that. So, you know, we just shouldn't, we shouldn't rush into the idea that it's going to make anything better. There's, there's a tradition in adventure games and you know, text-based interactive fiction and things like that where mm. character interaction was part of it. But of course, that was very narrowly defined in terms of what you could do. There's something that I wanted to kind of double-click back to, though, that you brought up a, a little while back, which is Culture Dow. So mm. can you tell me a little bit about Culture Dow? As I understand it, it's, it's this guild for creators who are really interested in virtual beings and this form of AI that we've been yeah. discussing. And, and I also understand it's a decentralized autonomous organization, a, a DAO. It's built into the name. Yeah. Um, 
but like why that structure and what does it do and yeah. and what are you yeah. hoping to accomplish yeah so the culture dow is named for E&M Banks, who wrote the excellent sci-fi <laughs> books, uh, the Culture Series. Player, um, player of Games exactly. is also a very yeah. good book for anybody who's a game developer, by exactly. the way. <laughs> um, and it brings together AI games makers and AI filmmakers and AI engineers and the rest. And um, yeah, right now it's, it's building several AI games and several AI movies, um, an AI RPG where we are going to investigate how to do NLP into characters because you know, we have to, but I just, I just want to point out that there hasn't been anything yet and it's been years. Um, so AI RPGs, an AI RPG, Tales of Sin, uh, Looking Glass, the sort of immersive sim, this, this is more of an FPS, um, and Geppetto's Workshop, which is all around text to 3D you know, generating 3D assets and then placing them. Basically, Gary's mod meets Midjourney um, because obviously Midjourney in 3D is more of a game engine vibe or more of a Gary's mod vibe. Um, and then three AI movies, um, one of which is announced, White Mirror, which is uh, an anthology of short AI films from a lot of the leading AI creators. Um, and we're targeting a Venice, Venice Film Festival premiere for that and you know it'll be one of the first ai films ai feature films um and yeah i'm just a huge believer in this new medium of ai games uh i don't care about pre-production assets and this new medium of ai movies i think we should it's just uh it doesn't seem very exciting if all that ai does is sort of reduce our concept art costs by like 40 percent or something is that interesting i don't know um if it's a whole new medium like silent movies going to talkies, that's pretty cool. It's a whole new medium, like 3D games versus 2D in text adventure, that's pretty cool. So that's what the Culture DAO members are. They're each working on them. And uh, yeah, I really like the mm. DAO structure, actually. It's more entrepreneurial and members can just, you know, fight for something and, and go for it. I love the idea of thinking of it as a new type of media. My head's in the same space as you are in that. Like, I mean, it is interesting if it can reduce production costs, if what that means is people can be more experimental and mm. try things that would be difficult to finance. But the idea of actually including generative AI and virtual beings and, and all forms of AI into the actual experience, I think, is where I think it's that's interesting. exactly right. That's, all, that's what each of those games is trying for, is how do you make, you know, we sort of defined an AI game as one that's, made by a human using AI as a tool. So it's not a generated game um, where the substantial, the majority of the assets are created by AI. So that's you know, pre-production slash production. But then more importantly, a substantial part of the core mechanics and gameplay loop is driven by AI um, and the AI learns. So, you know, those last mm -hmm. two, I think are the really, where it starts to get really interesting and where it will be notable that a game is, mm. is an AI game. And, you know, we've been, we've been considering whether to, to, you know, have models that could be, um, local to machines. So there's no cost and it's not calling to the cloud or something like that. But mm -hmm. there's something really interesting there that, um, that you might have two versions of a game, you know, version, normal version is like 30 bucks. And, you know, I don't know that it's that. Maybe we could use Beamable's help to do the live ops section of like the NLP and pulling back and all that. But let's say there's a normal version of the game where like, you know, it's AI-ish, 
And then for people with like really good GPUs, there's like a super version of the game that actually is, is fully responsive to you locally. Um, so I'm excited about that. Well, that's just a, this is just a moment in time we're at right now where GPUs just, they're a lot more powerful than they were, obviously, mm. but on end user devices, you know, they can't run really big models or anything, mm. but that's all going to change. Like just Apple alone shipped over a Zetaflop of, you know, neural engine compute mm. last year on, on iPhones, right? So that so, stuff makes a lot of sense to me. Local, local compute AI to make true AI games does seem super interesting. It's not like a top priority because, you know, then you might be waiting for years as you would say, or you'd have a tiny audience, but, but it's a very interesting priority. Well, the work you've been doing is just so creative and it touches so many areas. I, 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 I want to know a little bit more about you. Like what, what is a day in the life of Edward Saatchi? Like what well, gets you up in the morning? Hanging uh, <laughs> out with my girlfriend and, and sitting here and watching movies and that's about it really. Where, where do you draw the inspiration from for these things? Other than Ian Banks, who, who we can agree on. I want a desire to create a new art form. Been there since mm -hmm. uh, for the story studio. And then, you know, a lot of it is just pulling the string. I think, you know, we've, one of the, one of the things I'm probably proudest of of our work is that, you know, that we, we had this metaphor in Oculus Story Studio and we use it at Fable and we've used it at CultureDAO, which is about getting to California. And, uh, so thinking that you're the pioneers, you start off in New York, uh, and each state on the way is a piece of the grammar of this new medium that you're trying to build, which ultimately is basically just the holodeck. We're all trying to build the holodeck. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I would always say to the people at Story Studio who would get worried of like, God, oh, this person seems to be doing faster than us or something, um, that a lot of people are going to, you know, they're going to settle in Ohio. They're going to be like, okay, this is great. We're going to scale a business here or we're going to scale a business in New Jersey or whatever. And, you know, for us, it's just about pulling the string to try to truly get to the holodeck and not just kind of put lipstick on a pig and say, okay, we've got the holodeck. Like it's really, really going to be hard to build AI people, to build a holodeck, but that's, we're going to try to go all the way. I've, I've written about building the the holodeck. It's the, it's what I've called the direct from imagination era, yeah. right? So yeah, so so super compelling stuff. Um, I love that you're thinking about it not simply as like a set of optimizations around things that we would be doing anyway, but a new form of art, a new form of media. Yeah. That's what's really and potentially you know new studio structures for game studios. I think that's. Uh, that was a that was an interesting moment. I was talking mm -hmm. to somebody who from Fenaki, which is Google's AI video um, product, and he's a friend from Pixar who had gone to Google to do this. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so cool! AI could really transform this department, and then it could transform that department, lighting, and then modeling, and then this. And he was like, you're thinking about it wrong, which is it's a completely different structure, which comes from the AI being able to do everything. So. You know, don't think of it as department by department. That's maybe why I don't care about the concept art stuff, because these new games, AI game studios will have completely different structures if you start from the perspective of I'm building an AI game and I'm substantially going to use AI. The structures that we're familiar with, the departments that we're familiar with, will almost certainly make no sense. Though. So it's kind of, that's exciting to me as well.
I think transformation is the key word here. Everything is going to change and, and probably exactly. in many ways that we can't even like see ahead into quite yet. But maybe it'll be like Ian Banks was writing about in the player of games. You'll have spaceships someday with AI and totally. the mind ships. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was a very visionary, very visionary figure. We're we're all about to to step into a mind ship, I think, mm. and, and go on a journey mm. through this thing. So thank you so much, thank Edward, you, John, for being part of this conversation. Yeah. Really yeah. sparked a lot of thoughts, actually. It's really, really cool. Thank you.